Hello? Oh, yes, Gordon. I was just up on the roof fiddling with the antenna. Are you receiving loud and clear? Roger. Absolutely <laughs> indeed, yes. How are you? Very well, Gordon. We're still separate rooms, of course. Things are opening up, but we're still socially distanced by a number of miles. <laughs> we are indeed, we are indeed. But, you know, things are slowly improving, hopefully, so that is good. That is good. How was your weekend? Weekend has been not bad, Gordon. It's been nice to see, uh, you see, a, a gradual opening up, and I'm just hoping we can get out of there into the world and, and start pouring the whiskies again. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, it would be good to get that going as soon as possible, because... Uh, you know, it's when you travel as much as we do. It's nice to, you know, being at home is great, but uh, it's nice to get out and about and see the see people enjoying our products. I think so, Gordon. We're going to have a, a, a show with some of the best features that we've done over the last thirty, well, twelve weeks, because this is episode thirteen. And I thought possibly, possibly, and there's no script, but you've just mentioned it. The Insider's Guide was one of the favourite features that I liked, and we might even just tickle it with ambassadorial activity. Just just yeah. put that in your pipe and smoke it. I will put that in my pipe and we'll smoke that later on. <laughs> well, if you're going to smoke that, you better talk about drinking first. What are you drinking? What have you got in the Dundas cabinet? I've gone big tonight. I've oh. gone for a biggie. Uh, I've gone for a, a bit of an iconic whiskey, Dalby Alley Number no. 3, which Ooh. is the Tamdu special release to the Speyside Whiskey Festival came out about uh, two months ago, month and a half ago, something like that, and uh, has been really popular on the website. Beautiful dram, high strength, 60 plus percent alcohol. Ooh. Absolutely tremendous. Sherry casks, as all tabbies are, from start to finish. 60.7% alcohol, in fact. 60.7%. Gordon, for aficionados, and I am I'm an aficionado, I've not tried that one. Um, how does it compare? What's the similarities and differences to one and two? Well, again, you know, when, when these are made, the main difference is, is the ratio of European versus American oak in these big dark colour, mm. you know, um, full cast strength. It's um, only a thousand bottles, but it's got the sort of colour of, uh, it's not quite Coca-Cola, but nearly Coca-Cola, a little bit lighter than Coca-Cola, but just really dark. And it's got those beautiful balance of sort of rich, uh, the richness of the, the European oak, um, thick, syrupy, luxurious, but there's a bit of vanilla and softness in there as well, So, which comes from the American oak. So a beautiful, beautiful dram, and uh, the third one in the series of uh, limited editions. So a cracker one to start with. Gordon, I am going to um, pull out another cracker as well. I've got a small dribble of this given to me by one of those blue badge guides that come round the distillery, the privately employed, and they take round you know, private groups. Ronnie Berry, if you're listening, hello. He went down, it must have been a couple of years ago now, to the car park, got me a little dram of a Bal Blair 90. Because I just oh, mentioned it's one of my one of my um, great drams is a Bal Blair. And then 90. I love a Bal Blair. Oh, this is a 21-year-old. Um, starts its life in bourbon barrels, ex-bourbon mm-hmm. casks. And as you said, Gordon, that vanilla, that softness, and then finished off. I think it's two years in those sherry casks. And that gives you the sort of fuller body, longer finish, and a lovely bit of spice. So, two cracking drams, a Bal Blair 90. Yeah, no, a cracking distillery, lovely distillery, uh, very near Glenmorangie, uh, uh, north of Inverness, near to Dornoch. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful distillery, part of the same group, Old Putney and Hayburn and 
Hanky Bannister and a whole range of other products, even Karoon Gin. So no, a really nice, uh, nice. I'm a big Bob Lear fan. I think and for fans of the movie The Angel Share, that's the distillery up north that the crime is committed. If you yeah. uh, if you remember that, if you haven't, it's a good film to go and check out because Glenn Goyne is featured at the beginning. So that's what we are drinking, and as we do every week, Gordon, we just have to ask. I don't know if it's slim pickings, any whiskey news out there because there's lots of news, news about pandemics, but have you managed to glean anything? Yeah, there's a little bit of whiskey news. It's not a lot of whiskey news, but there's a little bit of whiskey news. Um, um, one of the things that I noticed this week was um, some new whiskies being released by Macallan. Um, two new double, 15-year-old and 18-year-old um, sherry cask matured. So uh, I'm looking forward to trying them. Obviously, we do the same sort of 15-year-old style with Tamdu. They'll be quite interesting to see how they are. What else did I pick up? So on still, Bob Gordon, just on that point, there's still a... Uh, quite a healthy activity going with releasing whiskies in this current climate. Would there you seems see? to be, yeah. No, there seems to be, and um, you know, I think you know we've we've done it as well. We've released some whiskies as well, and I think you know there's people who are uh, wanting to try new stuff while sitting at home. So there's no there's no real problems with that. So um, you know, I think life life needs to go on to a certain extent, and um, so new new whiskies still seem to be being released. Anything else that's caught your eye? Yeah, no, a couple of other things. Um, I, I was looking through Spirits Business, which is more a business-to-business thing, but it was talking about, we've talked about the sort of top-selling Scotch brands, and top-selling Irish and American, but actually the top-selling whiskies are all Indian. I was amazed to see that the, the biggest-selling Indian whiskey is called McDowell's Number no. 1, and it sells 30.7 million cases. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Absolutely. So multiply that by twelve, and that's um, an as an Indian whiskey selling to the Indian. It's an Indian whiskey, so yeah. it's not. You wouldn't call it a Scotch. It's not made in the way that Scotch would be made, but it's an Indian Indian whiskey. But actually, going through the list of these Indian whiskies, what's was really interesting is a lot of them have Scottish style names like Bagpiper or High Commissioner or something like that, yeah. and. Uh, so they're trying, you know, they're, they're made in India totally, but um, they're not um, they're not Scottish whiskies at all, but they want to sort of portray that a little bit. So that was quite an interesting point that I just had a look at. 30 um, million cases. The other cases. thing that I've noticed, sorry, carry on. No, 30 million cases, Gordon, that's, could you put that into some sort of perspective? Could you mention about case sales, I think, last well, week? Well, just to give you about, if 30 million cases of that one brand, Glenfiddich and Glenlivet and McAllen added together is about 3.1 million cases. So, I mean, that just shows you that's one brand in India selling 30 million. This is very, very high volume products from India. You know, they're not, they're not, there's not huge amount of profit in these bottles. It's pretty low price. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised that those 3 million cases for a uh, single malt make more money. Um, in fact, I'm sure they probably do. So, uh, that just sort of shows you. Yeah, I've got a little bit of news as well. Just been looking at some of the just whiskey stories that caught my eye. A program or TV show after my own heart is Outlander, and the two stars Sam Hewn and Graham McTavish are releasing a book entitled Clanlands: Whiskey Warfare and Scottish Adventure Like No Other. So I know the boys like their whiskey, only because we've done a couple of uh, tastings with the cast and crew of Outlander. So I'll be looking forward to that when it comes out. So that's anything that 
you know, if the guys from Outlander get behind whiskey in Scotland, that's a great, yeah. great pool, especially for the American market. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's great. The other thing I noticed actually in the news is that there's still a, the Americans are looking at tariffs again on not just whiskey, but one or two other things. So, um, you know, there's this tariff issue in the US doesn't look like it's going to get resolved in the short term, which to be honest, you know, I've got a bit of a view on this, if I'm honest. I think with the way the world is at the moment, and I think the way that things are, the EU, the the Americans and the British, or whoever's on the ball, should get round the table and say, look, this is not what we're after in the current fight. And I'm afraid that the bigger picture of Boeing versus Airbus and governments versus governments needs to be uh, needs to be reassessed at the moment in terms of the uh, the smaller whiskey producers and the smaller smaller producers who are getting hit by these tariffs. And I, I, you know, I just think it's ridiculous that it's still ongoing in the world. Absolutely, Gordon. I know I just, that gets sorted out. Um, anything else before we move on? Um, no, the only other thing I noticed, which is worth mentioning, is um, some of the bigger companies in the States, so Brian Foreman, Beam Centauri, um, one or two others, Diageo, these kind of, not, not just the States, have paused for advertising on social media for the month of July. So that's really to make sure that a lot of uh, these social media platforms tackle hate speech. Um, I'm not sure they're doing enough. So um, there'll be no advertising of any of these sort of brands, Diageo, Britvic, Mars, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, etc., on uh, on any of these platforms during July. So making a decent stand on things, I think. And I think, you know, the, the amount of uh, sort of information floating around on these websites, which are... are probably needs to be yeah. much more tightly managed but yeah no that's probably pretty much sums up the news gordon you, you i'm just at a last minute what do you call it hold the front page you mentioned july and of course that's just twigged my uh, thoughts there because our social media team got in touch with me about national scotch day july the 27th have you heard much about this no but i think every day should be national scotch. <laughs> yes uh yeah no in the united states national scotch day i'm literally looking up as we speak um, so, um, yeah, no, this is a whole load of, you can buy some official merchandise, you yeah. um, uh, you can have, a yeah, there's, uh, jewellery and socks and, uh, shirts that you can get, so, <laughs> so uh, right. you might get right involved in that. Well, the, the, the reason I say that, because it's just, it's explaining what, um, Scotch is and what you can do, organise your own parties in the States and why we love National Scotch Day, and they just say that Scotch has historically been the hands-down favourite of royalty, authors and politicians. Which put me in mind of one of our earlier features we used to run, is the challenges. You're up for a oh, challenge. Yeah. yeah, I'm up for a challenge. Basically, I've got some quotes. You just need to work out, Gordon. Whiskey drinkers, they love the whiskey, but are they artists or are they politicians? National Whiskey Day said these people, including royalty, loved it, but we'll just stick with artists or politicians. Is this an artist or politician? I wish to live 150 years old, but the day I die, I wish it to be with a cigarette in one hand and a glass of whiskey in the other. Politician or artist? Artist. You're absolutely correct. It's Ava Gardner, wife to Frank Sinatra on several occasions, 1-0 to Gordon Dundas. When asked for a hangover cure, he said... I take the juice of two bottles of whiskey. Artist or politician? Politician. Oh, it's Dean Martin. It's an artist. It's one each. Who said this? Artist or politician? Tell me what brand of whiskey that Grant drinks. I would like to send him a barrel of it to my other generals. 
got to be a politician. It is. 2-1. That was Abe Lincoln. The water was not fit to drink. To make it palatable, we had to add whiskey. By diligent efforts, I learned to like it. That's it. That's a politician. That is a politician. That is Winston Churchill, Gordon Dundas. You have taken the first challenge. <laughs> well done. But I love these whiskey quotes from people who just absolutely love their Scotch whiskey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Very good. Um, so, yeah, that's the whiskey news. What Excellent. are we doing next? Because it's I, totally unscripted. It's totally unscripted. Unscripted, Gordon. I've tickled you with the insider's guides, but we have got some myth-busting and we have got the A to Zs which are on a rather tricky letter and a year that changed whisky. Up to yourself, what do you want to go with? Let's go for a year that changed whisky. Right, okay. Uh, the year that changed whisky. I was having a conversation about the whisky booms and busts and how we maybe discussed about the market being uncertain. You've mentioned about tariffs there. Are we heading for a, a hopefully not, a bust? So I, I just looked at some of the booms and I'd like to take you back to 1962, the year that changed whisky. Now, grain deregulation from the war had finished in 1953, total deregulation of the market, 1959, and between that year and 1961, there was four grain distilleries opened up in Scotland, Girvan, Invergordon, Cambus, and Moffat. Moffat subsequently made into a paper mill, but four, that's a massive output. So by 1962, um, yeah. The Scotch world was uh, on the up. The big boom of the 1960s was just upon us. A million cases. The first million case selling whiskey, Cutty Sark, hits America. A couple of months later, Johnny Walker does the same. And then the other uh, companies move in and the Scotch whiskey boom is born in America. And I don't know if you've got much more to put on that, Gordon, but we just basically take over the world again. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's... Uh it's it was the ability to you know produce all this volume and it was um you know scotch whiskey has always sort of done the right thing <laughs> yeah. um you know the where scotch is now and where blends having driven a lot of the growth globally and um, that's really aiding the single malt industry now um, and although blends are fairly flat globally you know there's still millions and millions of people drinking blended whiskey regularly around the world not as much as that indian whiskey of course but no uh, no, no but that was a huge opening up but, of the of the market but, and really um, for 60 yeah. years you know scotch whiskey had been pretty much in the doldrums through uh, the temperance movement prohibition world war Two. it really hadn't got on its feet since the late yeah. 1890s that was finally we had uh, arrived as it were and as you see now the single malt stems from really those years so 62 first million case selling whiskey in the states and then oh, the yeah. rest did the same yeah no and you look at it now and you think the states is still a major market for us we just talked about the tariffs but you know asia's coming coming strong on the on the rails as well now obviously and uh you know, and other markets, you know, every market's important, but yeah, no. It's quite interesting, Gordon, you mentioned about Miami a couple of episodes ago, and you've travelled extensively in the States. Is there certain areas that are hotter for Scotch than others across there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's to do with, it's a very, you've got to remember how the States works, it's 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 a collection of 52 states, and I don't mean that in a, in a stupid way, they all have their individual sort of idiosyncrasies, so there's certain states which are control states, like Pennsylvania, for example, so... The government are in control of the uh, the purchasing of alcohol, etc., and that sort of thing. Um, so every state is different, and and you also have. Um, so you, if you think if you were to look at New York, you would go. Sorry, look at the states. You would go New York, Chicago, California, Texas, 
Florida, Atlanta. They're the main areas that you would be sort of looking to get into first, the first states that you would uh-huh. want to sort of try and get into in, this, in, in that market. They have a unique system called the three-tier system. So you, if you're an owner and a producer, you can't be a distributor and a retailer. Everybody has to get their cut all the way through the system. It's a, it's a very sort of unique system, but uh, it is the holy grail still for for whiskey and for you know whiskey marketing you build a brand in america for sure as you do in europe and the uk but uh you know it, it is definitely the place to uh to try and get into if you were producing single malt wow. whiskey. that's a uh, that we've maybe don't have a lot of time to get into this now but that, that tickles a little bit of our insider's guide um ambassadorial activity gordon i assume you've been to every one of the, those country uh, states uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, I've been to all of those states. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've done a whole range of different activities around the U.S. And, um, you know, as smaller brands that we are, the key thing is we don't have the big budgets that the Glenn Livitz and Glenn Fiddix have in this world to sort of try and attract new drinkers. We're really, you know, it, it, certainly in the U.S., saying to people who drink uh, single malt, come and try us. You know, that's very much our approach. Um because so how do you do that, Gordon, as, a, as an ambassador, just as a wee insider's guide? How do you physically do that? Do you just have to identify whiskey festivals or fairs that are happening and try and become part of that? Or do you send invitations for people to come and visit you when you're across there? Well, there's a whole range of ways of doing that. So the best way to think about it is if you think about it from a consumer perspective, how do we say to a consumer sitting at home, come and try Glen Goyne? Well, we would obviously do it through, you know, Get it. If that consumer was in a bar, for example, and their favourite bar was a was a bar that had, you know just was just taking on, for example, they had Glenfiddich and Glenlivet. Maybe they would take Glengoyne. We want to educate those bartenders to say, well, if you like that, try this. Um, you know, it's a bit like when you go to your favourite restaurant, you order your favourite meal, and if you if the waiter that you know very well goes, well, I know you really like that. For a change, you should try that. You'd probably go, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you need to sort of have that understanding of how we can influence and, and really, you know, make certain bartenders in key whiskey bars. We're not saying in every bar because we certainly can't be in every bar, but in key bars, you are our advocate. You're the one who goes, well, I was actually tasting this blank going, you've got to try it. And that's one of the ways of getting, getting a bit of a, a pull through in a sort of bar environment for a consumer. And the same with retailers, you know, your specialist whiskey shops, we're not in supermarkets, really. We're not in every, every shop. So, when, when people walk into a whiskey shop and they ask for a particular style of whiskey, you know, if they want a smoky whiskey, we would love the person to say smoke it. We would love the person to go, oh, you want a sherry cast? You should try Tamdu. This is this is the next big thing. Or this is the, the that that's how we try and do it. So yeah, there's a huge yeah. amount of training. There's a huge amount of, um, you know, getting people to our site to understand these things. A whole range of other things we've got to do as well, like train our distributors so they're confident in selling our products in the market. They know about them. They can activate them and do them in the market. Local PR, um, we want to do PR when we're there in terms of talking to the magazines and all the influencers and all that type of thing. New product launches is a great way of capturing a bit of that PR stroke sort of mm-hmm. media spike, which gives you a bit of coverage in the market. So there's a whole range of different things that we can do. But from our perspective, we've got to do it all driven on the, the quality of our liquid in terms of getting people to taste it and understand it, because we don't have to over the, we don't have massive budgets to, uh, to do um, above the line stuff. We're doing stuff, which if we invest in something, we want to see a return on it. Yeah. And people sometimes ask me about what 
specifically happens, I've got a small story about one of my first foreign adventures. It's just an example of an insider's guide, what you must do, Gordon. I got this email from our representative across there in Germany, you know Lars very well, and he said, yes, yes get yourself to Edinburgh Airport, jump on the Helsinki flight, he gave me the flights, you've got to book them yourself, then get to, from Helsinki to a place called Turku on the coast of Finland, and between Helsinki and getting that internal flight to Turku, we're on the tarmac, and there was some sort of commotion. The wee plane to take you to the coast, I think, held about 25 of us. And there's a huge commotion with security, engineers. I couldn't understand. It was all in Finnish. Turns out that a car had hit the plane. Just very lightly, but that's enough to cause a huge major... So I had to stand and watch the plane getting fixed in front of my eyes. Just the handrails. Then got on this small propeller plane, <laughs> take off to Turku, get onto a taxi. This is all explained in the email. A taxi to the ferry terminal, then wait for the ferry to come in, get on the ferry then go up to deck nine and meet a guy called Jim. <laughs> Certainly it's a very unusual lifestyle to be leading and you never get to see these places if you, we aren't doing what we are doing. But that must ring a bell, Gordon. <laughs> these convoluted descriptions to get to a place. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I've done I've done whiskey tasting in some very obscure places from Bali to deepest, darkest parts of China. And, uh, wow. you know, we went, I've, been to, I've been to small cities in China that have four million people in them. You know, there's this whole world that you, you, you get to see. Um, I mean, one of the problems is that when you go to a certain market or whatever, and I've, I've been to a lot, but, I, you know, there's certain countries I've been to. I went to India, for example, and I went for seven days, maybe eight days, and I went to seven cities. So every night I was in a different hotel. Every so it was either an early morning flight or a very late at night flight, and by the end of it, I was absolutely knackered. I couldn't actually tell you what I saw of India apart from traffic jams, pollution, and people. And you're and talking current. all day. You're talking all day at these things. Yeah, yeah, you're doing yeah. stuff all day. I didn't go, didn't do any of the lovely go to the Taj Mahal or see any Goa or any of that. It was a very hectic week, and uh, yeah, I came back from that, and about a week later, I got shingles. So. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, I that, was a, that was a that was a tough few days. Oh yeah, that sounds tough. Listen, Gordon, that, that's the, the ABCs in the background. That's just a little a little glimpse into Ambassadorial. We'll come back to that, I'm sure. But yeah. the A to Zs have reached the letter. I think it's L. It is L. That's, it is L. I don't know if that's easy. I don't think that's terribly easy, Gordon. Well, I mean, I yeah, I mean, there's obviously a whole load of brands called L. Oh yes. Loman, Little Milk, you know, there's there's hundreds of L whiskey brands. Look, Freud, we could go through them all, but there's loads of them. Yeah. And um, if we go into sort of the production side, the line arm is a very um, important part, connecting oh, yes. the still to the condenser. Um, and the angle of these have an influence on the spirit style. So, for example, if your line arm is angled downwards, and um, then the you know the, there's there's less reflux, less sorry, less copper contact mm. because it's just it's just going down gravity-wise. If your line arm is angled upwards, then you're still going to have. It's like a salmon trying to get up a river. It's yeah. got to be. It's got to be lighter and bitter to get up there. So your line arm is a is a is a really big uh, important part connecting the top of the still to the generally the shell and tube condenser. And I believe Glengarry, which is a brand I used to work on, has one of the longest line arms in the industry. That's a cracking factoid. The Glengarry. Yes. Yeah, very long line arm. Yeah. 
Uh, one, one of those distillers we talked about in our pronunciation guides. Uh, Low Wines Garden. There's another one from the production house. Yeah. You take the wash, you distill it uh, the first time to create Low Wines, which will be distilled for a second time to make the spirits. And Low Wines generally about 24 to 26% ABV. Yeah, and obviously your, your Low Wines go into the uh, spirit charge tank, for want of a better word, along with your four shots and faints as well mm-hmm. from the previous distillation. So... Uh, you have your nothing gets wasted but yeah your your low wines is your the, the result of your first distillation i've got one from history yeah. if we can go back go there from history. if you allow me though it's not a surname it's louis pasteur i might come back with a p pasteur but louis as he was known to his pals pasteur discovered in the late 1850s i think it was 1857 1858 with a series of essays using a newly invented microscope had finally worked out that fermentation happens because of tiny little microorganisms that were called yeast. And up until Louis Pasteur, no one had an idea what on earth was causing fermentation. They could make it happen, happen for thousands and millions of years, but scientifically, that was the breakthrough that we were all waiting for. And interesting enough, Gordon, I think this interest in history, the Institut de France in 1803 put out a proclamation, a, a kilogram of gold for anyone that could explain fermentation. I mean, Louis Pasteur did it 50 years later. And the only person that was said that could have done it was Lavoisier, a genius chemist who was guillotined by the French. So, you know, Pasteur and yeast, and that's a very important part of the process. Water, barley and yeast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on from that, then I'm going to talk about lipids. Lipids. You're on your own, Lipids are... (laughs) Lipids are basically fatty acids and they come they come from the barley and they they stay all the way through the process and uh, and result in the whiskey so you know and um, these lipids are sometimes make your whiskey go cloudy at lower lower alcohol so 40 to 46 um you know if you poured a if you you know in a particular environment if you poured some water into that whiskey it may go cloudy nothing wrong with it that is the lipids so that's why a lot of the the, the, the whiskies between those strengths, 40 to 46, are chill filtered to take those lipids away so that the whiskey still remains clear. Above 46, you don't need to do it. So you will normally see a whiskey at 46% or above will be non-chill filtered. Um, and that means that the lipids are in. Does it change the whiskey? Not particularly. It may change a little bit in the mouthfeel. Um, uh-huh. uh, but that's all up for a bit of debate. But well, um, there you go. That's great, Gordon. That, that just about to say, I'm just trying to rack my brain for some of the great um, features that we did in the past. And one that you'd launched was myth busting. And I was about to say, some people swear by the fact that they only drink cask strength whiskey because they don't want it chill filters. But I would suggest that's a bit of a myth. You get lovely whiskies that have been chill filtered. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yep. The whole point is, you know, it will have an el- it might have a small, small, small impact on it. And that's debatable. But the point is, it's you know the the spirit quality, the the um, the uh, cast quality. A lot of those flavors, you know, if something at fifty eight percent will have a very different profile down at forty six or forty three. Yeah. Um, and you'll get an array of different flavors between the two. So drinking cast strength whiskey is, is while is great, and you know you're in control of how you add water to it, things like that. It, 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 People shouldn't only drink cast strength whiskey, in my opinion, but that's totally a personal choice. There's a huge amount of different styles of whiskey at different strengths. And, you know, there's a whole, you know, whiskeys at 40 suit 
people who want to drink whiskies at 40%, maybe a bit more introductory, um, a bit more connoisseurial, certainly between 46 and 50. You get a bit more alcohol strength, a little bit more flavor. But again, if you add a drop of water, that will change. So, And cast strengths can be, as we've just seen with the Nalbi Alley, is 60.7. So uh, up at that strength, that's really strong. Yeah. So lots to consider. Here's a prime example uh, mm -hmm. of, of checking. You know, if, if you ever shake a whiskey bottle, uh, and you see how fizzy it is. That gives you an idea of how strong it is. So if you if you get a sample of whiskey and you shake it and you see how long the sort of bubbles last, that gives you an, an idea of how how much alcohol is in it. I, I love tasting whiskies in terms of not knowing what they are because I think it just takes away any preconception. Yeah. There is no rules. It is it's a drink for you to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot of that. You get any whiskey myths that you hear hear a bit. Of. The, the, the most regular ones that we've maybe covered, the most regular ones I get was you get the odd person that just will not add water to the whiskey, just don't doesn't believe in adding water, and you know if that's what yeah. they do, that's what they do. But you don't get the, in my opinion, you don't get the benefit, don't get the of putting water into it, just a little drop, just to bring it up and bring it out of itself, and and as you see, you get a different profile with a little bit of water, just opens up the dram. In that Derby Alley at 60.7, which I'm absolutely finished, actually. Um, it's 60.7% alcohol. So I say to a lot of people, what do you think the remaining 39.3% is? And 38.3% of it's water. Mm -hmm. Made from water. So, um, and the 1% is all those esters, conchinas, those fatty acids that we were speaking about, the lipids, a whole range of other things that give you the flavour and all that sort of element. So, um, you know, the point is that you know, there's, it's made from water. So, adding water to it is 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 more than more than allowed for sure. Great, God, uh, and that's 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 a little bit of myth busting. I think we can close the book in the A to Z's of L. Do we have any more? Because that moved us from. No, the only one I had that I thought was Loman still, which ah, is obviously yes. still, which uh, I think is in Loch Loman Distillery and one or two others. It's sort of square still with some plates inside it, and it's uh, um, I think it was invented in the 1950s, and uh, you know it's a, a unique style of, of distillation. So uh, Loman still as well. Yep, great. I didn't have very much bad there to begin with. I have to say, I, I nursed it for the last year, so well, have, it's what, going. What are you going for now? I don't have enough in my sauna or my, at the bottom yeah I've got a Glen Goyne 10 up there and I've got a smokehead sherry bomb at my, my feet Ooh. so I, I think I'm going to wait and have maybe I'll maybe just do one then then t'other why not what's wrong with that absolutely good I yeah. thought we were going to struggle with the L's this week I have to say but we've done not bad no bad no, we've done not badly great to do another uh Another episode of the old whiskey unscripted. Well, we just thought we'd just maybe just strip it down and just have a good chat this week with some of the features, and um, we may get some of our guests back on in the future. But just great to to unscript it and just rip up a little bit, Gordon. Absolutely, and uh, I'm looking. I've still not been to your virtual bar, by the way. That's right. Well, I I. I I may Am I not swing the, in your virtual No, no, I think we'll swing the doors open next week to the virtual bar with maybe some virtually surprising guests. How about that? Why don't we try that? Brilliant. Right. That's what we'll do. We're virtually on to it. Gordon Dundas, thank you very much for your, your company. Never mind. Good man. Good, good. To the drums. Cheers, Gordon. <laughs>